Are you struggling in your faith? Are you pretending you're happy but stuck in a spiritual rut? Are you tired of listening to famous pastors and preachers who make it sound so easy? Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Protestant and Catholic voice in America. I talk about the important things that nobody else is talking about, like how to align with God's plan for your life, because I believe this is where 90% of Christians get stuck. And I tackle the negative self-talk that we all secretly struggle with, but won't admit. My guests are brave Protestants and Catholics who share their struggles, their fears, and their daily holy habits that help them win in their spiritual lives. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist and a spiritual coach to Christian business owners and CEOs who are married with children. This show was created for you, the broken Catholic, who's pushing to get your spouse, your kids, and yourself to heaven. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're just one surrender prayer away. Today, my featured guest is Brian Russell. And Brian Russell, PhD, you got to put in the PhD, he earned it. He is an award-winning professor and transformational coach for entrepreneurs, pastors, and spiritually-minded professionals like yourself. His personal mission is to seek out, study, and live the deepest truths so that he can share them compellingly, lovingly, and transformationally with others. He is the author of four books, including his latest, Centering Prayer, How Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. Now, if you remember, we recently had another guest on our show, Rich Lewis, who spoke about Centering Prayer. So consider this part two, all right? And uh, Brian is going to bring his perspective on Centering Prayer, and we're gonna go a little deeper. We're gonna get into what do you do when you're sitting quietly with God and you're trying to shut down the noise in your head, but you can't. Brian's gonna teach us how to do that so that you can finally hear God's voice in your life and, and hear what he wants you to do next, hear his purpose for the rest of your life and many other things that you're missing out on right now because you're trying to run your own life and it's not working, is it? Otherwise you would be living the life that you always wanted, but you're not. So how do we do that? We're gonna get into that with Brian so you can find him at brianrussellphd.com, brianrussellphd.com. Brian, welcome to Broken Catholic, number one podcast on iTunes for Protestants and Catholics. Go ahead and uh, fill in some of the gaps in that intro really quickly. Yeah, well, I'm married. I live in Orlando, Florida. I have uh, six uh, children. That includes my own biological children and some stepkids and uh, uh you know the things that would that people don't know. It's a, it's all in the in that bio. It's really me. I love teaching. I've been doing that my whole life. I've been a lover of the Bible my whole life, and I just love serving people. And I'm now getting this message out about centering prayer and other spiritual formation practices to help people develop really deep roots. Mm, so cool. I love to hear when someone is working in their passion, and at the same time, they are glorifying God with it. So many times we can work in our uh, very secular passions just to make money or other motivations, but we leave God out of it. We don't mix God and work together, right? But 
it's always awesome to hear someone who not only invites God into their work, but God is the main reason why they are working. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. All right, take a minute, share something personal about you uh, that very few people in your business life actually know. Yeah, I guess, I mean, there's a lot of things. I, I'm a fairly transparent person, but I guess the, the thing that surprises a lot of people is that I love playing guitar and I, and, and I actually like playing really kind of heavy music on my guitar. I'm not, you know, like I grew up in the 80s. So I, I grew up listening to a lot of 80s kind of hair metal. And so I, I learned how to play really fast and uh, kind of heavy rock, though. I don't do that too many places other than in the quiet of my office just for fun. And I, I love the blues also, but I like really heavy guitar music and that's uh, and I and I enjoy playing that when I have time. That's pretty cool. Uh, I love the 80s. Um, I know many millennials and Gen X, uh, Gen Xers that absolutely love the 80s. They consider it the last good music ever, ever played. Uh, who is your favorite band uh, to play? Yeah, I mean, favorite bands to, to play. I mean, I just, I kind of dabble around. So, I mean, when I was growing up, and, and these are exactly Christian groups, but I've always enjoyed the kind of heavier music. So I learned how to play some like Metallica songs. And, uh, uh, and uh, let's see, my very first concert I went to was ACDC. Those are, those, so I learned how to play some of those, those songs. So that's, it's just, uh, in, you know, and even Guns N' Roses, all these bands. Um, kind of one of my, uh, a more recent band that I really like um, in, uh, is Kenny Wayne Shepherd. He's a younger, heavy blues player. And I liked, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan back in the 80s too so I kind of like the heavy blues guys and then some of the actual really fast kind of hair metal bands is what I used to what I like to play sometimes you know throwing Bon Jovi I just ripped through all the <laughs> the classic 80s bands and I've dabbled in a little bit all those songs all right BC Nation there's your evidence right there from Brian that every saint has a past a dark past a sinning past right we get into the dark heavy metal oh now, I personally love Journey, Farna, Def Leppard. Those yeah. are my sticks. You know, you got to throw them in there. All right. So, BC Nation, who's your favorite 80s rock band? Go ahead and send me an email at joseph at josephwarren.net. Joseph at josephwarren.net. I want to know. And then ask me any question you want about the show. Anything you want. Anything you want me to cover, a topic, something you're struggling with, you feel stuck in, send me an email. All right, Brian. Um, Let's get into it. Now, you grew up Presbyterian, yes? Methodist, actually. Methodist, yeah, thank yeah, you, thank yeah. you. All right, so uh, walk us through really quickly, just a brief uh, back in time. Let's go into the time machine. And uh, what was childhood like uh, growing up in the Methodist church? Was faith very strong in your home? Was it not? Um, and then walk us through the teen years and into about the college uh, years. Was God close with you? Was he not? Uh, take us into that story, would you? Yeah, I, uh, I've, I grew up in Akron, Ohio, and my parents still live up in Northeast Ohio, and so does my brother. And we grew up in a, a faith a family, uh, and that started when I was very young. My mom and dad, and this would have been in the early 70s, both had fairly evangelical-style conversion experiences. Uh, we had um, one of Billy Graham's associate evangelists. So this wasn't like a big stadium, but he, he had a full ministry. And one of his um, associates came to uh, the church that I ended up going to and, and did revivals. I grew up in a, a church that had revivals a couple times a year. You'd have a preacher come in for seven days. And my mom and dad both gave their life to Jesus walking down the altar when my I was about five or six years old. And so they started taking us to 
a Hope United Methodist Church in Akron. Still, still open. It's not as big as it was when I was younger, but I, and I essentially went to that church from age five up until I went to college. Uh, I gave my life to Jesus. I asked Jesus in my heart. That's the way we talked about it. I think when I was, I think in fourth grade. Now, as I entered into adolescence, obviously that's the place where uh, you, you you know you start questioning things when you're growing up. And so I went through this semi-rebellious period and. Uh, uh, you know, that's when I got actually into the heavy rock music because people didn't like it at church and everything. And they were and but when I was in 10th grade, again, I, it's kind of funny to think I was having these existential crises, but I had whatever crisis you have when you're about 15 years old. And uh, I, my parents had made me go to youth group, even though I didn't want to. And a youth pastor who I really respected because he was a mathematician and really smart. And I was this kind of awkward, geeky. I mean, ended up being a professor and I always wanted to be a professor by the way when I was like five or six years old. So I'm the guy that got to do exactly what he wanted to do when he, from when he was a kid. But so I was really awkward, grew up in this working class area, didn't really fit in. So I met this youth pastor who was super smart, awkward, geeky, and he kind of invested in me and he said, Hey, Brian, you should read the Bible. This would have been 1985 on, it was like at new new year's day. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to do that. But my life was still just not going where it was. Girls didn't like me. I was you know, kind of got picked on sometimes. And one day I was looking at my Bible that my church had given me when I was like six years old. And I thought, you know what? Steve says I should read this. I'm going to give it a shot. And so I literally opened up the Bible and said, Lord, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And, you know, as, if you pray a prayer like that, that's one of those prayers that God's probably going to actually answer, right? And so I wasn't like instantaneous, but I started reading. And then we had one of these revivals that we always had. And the preacher this one night preached the exact text that I had just read. And I kind of had this heart strangely warmed experience. I'm 15 and gave the altar call. And I, you know, I always say it's kind of odd, but I feel like I got lifted up out of the pew and find myself at the altar praying, asking you know, God to re-engage me because I was, you know, I'd given my life when I was younger, but that was like my conversion experience. And from that point on, um, I be I focused on learning as much as I could about God, reading the scriptures. I read it, you know, four or five times all the way through the Bible before I even graduated from high school. My pastor goes, hey, Brian, you should be a pastor. So I was getting all this affirmation. So I didn't have any college crash at all. I went to college um, early on, when I was 19, I accepted a call to become a United Methodist pastor. And so I was in this ordination process at 19, went straight to seminary, um, you know, so that's that's my upbringing right there. So it just it was a trajectory. And I was hired to teach at Asbury Seminary first when I was 25, teaching Greek and Hebrew. And then I went and did my PhD. And I started teaching at a seminary when I was uh, 31 years old. And been there for 20 this is my 22nd consecutive year being a professor so that's that's a snapshot now there's some darkness that's going to pop in later in life that's when my challenge is kicked in but that that's i grew up in the church god was good to me and uh yeah and doors opened mm. all right bc nation maybe you resonate with brian's story maybe that's how your life looked where the first half of your life went pretty much according to plan your plans um, and things were good. I know my wife, uh, you know, she was homeschooled, raised in the, in the faith and uh, raised by good parents. And she didn't have any dysfunction growing up. She, she didn't even know dysfunction existed in other people until she met me. Yay. Uh, right. And then my 
uh, childhood was the complete opposite. It started out with adversity and then is finishing up really peaceful, really good, right? So uh, very fascinating. So Brian, um, take us, move us forward into uh, present day or, or just, you know, where you spoke about the dark area, the dark ages of Brian Russell's life. Um, and just walk us through what caused it, what was the trigger, um, how did you move through it and successfully come out of it? Yeah, and thank you. And yeah, and you know, that, that's, a, that's a really big question because I really thought a lot about what actually happened to me. And obviously coming out of my childhood, you know, you heard that I had some wounds basically from just not fitting in. So I've always had this deep sense that I wasn't good enough. Uh, and then again, I had this very strongly kind of evangelical theology that said, hey, you know, you're a worm, all this kind of stuff. And so, but I knew that Jesus was the answer. And, um, and so and the theology wasn't all bad, but I had these kind of wounds, these insecurities. And so I was very driven to prove that I was good enough, mm. which again, that's when you're getting started in a career, that's pretty powerful because, you know, I worked hard. I got all these degrees. I published things. I got tenure. But what I was in, and this was something a lot of people didn't know, and again, I don't want to make this all about this, but this is where it hits. My, my dark night of soul hits me at 41. I got married very young, and uh, you know, I have two children from that, from that, um, that marriage, <clears throat> and, but it was a difficult marriage, which I don't really want to get into all the details, but let's just say 20 years in, I have my 20th anniversary. And, you know, I was all in and we did the, ba the best we can. But 20 years in, this was been fall of 2010, um, my, my spouse decided she literally didn't want to be married anymore. And I go from celebrating 20 years to um, it, my, my marriage is over. Um, and it's, I mean, spectacularly over, like move out of the state. And I'm here I am terrified basically i'd been all in for god um, i did my very best um, to love my my former spouse the best that i could and it, it, that wasn't good enough um, and boom i have my two daughters they stayed with me I'm trying to raise two kids I'm trying to be a seminary professor these you know these things aren't supposed to happen when you're a pastor and a seminary professor and literally the lights went out on my faith and what i mean by that <clears throat> couldn't feel anything I, you know, I teach scriptures for a living and I'm literally just teaching on fumes. It was like I was just reading tapes and scripts that's for somebody in somebody else's mind. And I, my, the key moment, and this would have been in the spring of 2011, and I talk about this in my book, and this is how I got interested in um, silence and solitude practices is um, talking to a friend on the phone and they say, Brian, it sounds like you're losing your mind. And yeah, I probably was. I was just incredibly anxiety written brain looping spinning just thinking of every possible thing that's going to go wrong i'm going to be bankrupt you know my seminary is going to let me go i'm going to lose my kids just all these terrifying things and so i go for a walk and luckily i live in orlando so it's you know it's pretty nice in the spring and a beautiful blue sky day and it, for some reason, I left. Um, I used to, used to listen to music when I walked and stuff. I just left it all there. So I'm just out walking in quiet. And I just remember this moment where this bird starts singing and it gets my attention. And instead of kind of looking down like I typically did, just thinking, this bird snapped me out of um, all the chatter in my brain. And I looked up and it's like the world froze. Saw leaves on trees, which sounds funny, but I mean, I literally just saw the individual leaves on trees and flowers. And I just sensed in that moment that God was saying, um, Brian, I'm enough for you. 
and you're going to get through this and I still want you on the team. Um, and so I didn't know how to process that because that's a pretty charismatic type of experience. And I don't know if I heard a voice or not, but that was in my heart. And again, that didn't fix everything, but I realized, wow, I'd never had anything quite like this where everything was just still for a moment. And at that point, I started exploring um, journaling, and intentional journal. I've always kept journals of some sort, but I started doing intentional journaling. And then I found out about silent silent prayers because what I found in the depth of my pain, all the traditional means that I'd used my whole life to kind of fuel my Christian life, it just, I was just so empty. I mean, I, I couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't sing in church for several years because there was just no, there was nothing that was going to come out. I was hurt so bad, but the silence brought me back to God, basically. And I went through this process of really deep inner cleansing using essentially journaling and centering prayer. And again, I still maintain these other practices, but I would say these silence and solitude practices set me on a trajectory where you're, you know, we're encountering each other today. It's been, you know, basically 11 years later when I was in that, in that period and what it trans did for me, it transformed me. I'm a better teacher. I'm more present. Um, and I got into coaching and I found out that my ministry kind of expanded because I had this massive wound period that I worked through. So I could say more, but I think that's uh, enough. And you can, I guess, follow up if that wasn't clear anything that I just said. BC Nation, do you hear your story and Brian's story? I mean, do you have wounds that you've been carrying? Have you been a strong Christian very strong in your beliefs and in your faith and then life hit you so hard that it felt like you were just running on fumes the words just didn't feel real anymore you you didn't even have a song to sing you know there was nothing to sing about uh, if that's you right now rest assured you're in the right place right here right Brian is opening his heart and sharing his story. Now, granted, he's through it. He's out the other end, so things are better now. But he had to go through something. And most people, I find, that draw really close to God or have that faith that we sometimes look at and envy, what we don't see is the pit that they went through, the pit experience of their life. And we don't see all the work that they did on the inside, sitting with God, letting God heal them, or in my coaching practice, letting God blow up the rocks that are in their head, the rocks that they put around their heart to protect themselves, when no one can get in, not even God anymore. So if that's you, it's okay. Right? We're all in this together. Remember that. I get some negative reviews here and there on the show, you know, because people, they question what they hear um, rather than just seeing my heart and seeing my guest's heart and realizing that we all have been through something, right? And we're in this together. So Brian, walk us through um, that quiet time with God, right? So you're, you're in the pit. You're in that moment. You can't even sing in church for two years. There's nothing good to sing about. 
and you're questioning everything. And at the same time, you got that impending doom constantly running in your head. When's the ball gonna drop? When am I gonna lose my job? When am I gonna lose my kids, right? Just, and I get it. I speak with a lot of people right there. I've been there. So you got all this going on. How the heck do you get quiet with God and journal in solitude when your brain is so noisy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such. I mean, it, it's um, it, it's uh, it's funny. I started just with um, um, well, the journaling was probably the easiest thing to start with in some level because where I started was just gratitude. And, and, I, and I still think a gratitude practice is the most important thing any of us can do in our lives. And, and I started with gratitude at night because I couldn't sleep. I was also an insomniac in the whole thing too. So I'm just having these horribly long days and laying in bed. And, and I heard somebody say, hey, if you just say what you're thankful for before you go to sleep, your brain will get a little bit better rest. And I found that to be true. And then the other piece that helped me is I started to wake up with gratitude because when I hit this, and I was, even after I had the experience I was talking about, I had this moment where I'm laying in my bed, you know, my daughters are in there and I'm, you know, I'm like, I just don't think I can do this. I'm so tired. I'm so stressed, so scared. And again, lucky I live in Florida and this, I was in the room and this light ray came shooting through the blinds in the morning. And I just remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I can't get up, but you know what? I'm going to be, I'm super grateful that that sun pops up every single day. And if the sun can get up, I'm going to get up today. And so to me, it started with gratitude, finding something to be grateful for every morning. And then it turned into a practice. I'd write five things down every morning that I was grateful for. And really the key thing I think Joseph is you got to feel it in your heart. If you can feel gratitude, it starts to push out some of the negative stuff and it begins to open ourselves up for moments of God's grace to come in. And then I do the same thing at night, even on a bad day, I would make myself write out two or three things that went well that I could be grateful for. And that practice has, I've, I've talked more about my journaling practice, but that, that's kind of the core of my journaling practice, a like gratitude in the morning, gratitude at night. And then slowly started experimenting with them. Um, I started with guided kind of guiding silent prayers. And what was funny is I think I was so stressed out that just hearing somebody talking about how to, you know, surrender your thoughts back to God, it would put me to sleep at first. So I couldn't even sit because I was like so stressed. The silence just kind of knocked me out at times. And then I slowly got to the point where, yeah, I could be awake and just do the practice. And it was, it was, again, it was just a slow process. This is no quick fix, but this was long game knowing that the silence somehow was powerful, even though I couldn't explain it yet. I, a lot of my book, I try to explain how silence actually works, but I just knew that's what I needed because all the chatter and even all my pastor friends, because I'm a seminary professor, I know tons, I know hundreds of pastors, they're all telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, ah, it's not hitting it. But the, just being in the silence slowly just kind of opened my soul back up. Okay. So, speak to my listener right now that they're they've been trying centering prayer they've been yeah. trying to get quiet with god um but they don't know how to quiet the noise in their head yeah, um, yeah. maybe they don't feel all the pressure uh that you were feeling maybe they're not in that just terrible place but they're in a okay place just the worries and concerns of life and the world and 
you know, plenty of Christian husbands I get to speak with and they got three kids, four kids. Um, they're stressed out at work. Everything's changing, the pandemic, the regulations, COVID, everything's just up in the air uncertain. And they're just dealing with that. Um, and then they, they're trying to carve out time in their day for God. And when they finally get to that time with God, um, they just came out of the world and their head's still full. What could they do? What are your like three steps for them to quiet their mind? Granted, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen the first day, most likely. But to quiet their mind and build that spiritual muscle of silence and listening to God. Yeah, I'm going to answer that in two ways. I don't know if there's three steps, but so I'm going to I'm going to try to unpack this. I think I think the first insight that you, that you have when you sit in silence is, um, and this is where you know you're starting to make progress because a lot of times when we first are in silence, we're not even aware of how much stuff is in our heads. It's it's you have the first step is you have this moment where you sort of and it's really bizarre to say this, but you kind of realize that you can almost see yourself thinking or you can feel yourself thinking. Then you have this weird thought like, well, geez, I can see that I'm lost in all these thoughts. So who's actually thinking and who's watching the thinking take place? And so then the, the kind of the key first insight is you realize you're not actually in control of your many of your thoughts. There's a lot of chatter that just kind of rolls through there. Uh, and so that's that's kind of the first insight that you're starting to get a handle on the thoughts is just to recognize that you can see yourself actually lost in the thought. But then once that happens, that's when the, the, the centering prayer practice itself can really start helping you because the, the goal of sitting with with God is simply to sit with God. And you do that with the prayer word, you know, like I like to use Jesus as a as a Christian. You can use other words, God or love. People use different things, but I just recommend people using Jesus because that's who we're sitting with. And then when you realize that you're in this thought loop and you're never going to erase your mind, that's the probably the most uh, a, a misconception. You're never going to erase all the, your thought. That's not the goal. It's simply when you realize you're in a thought, you use the prayer word, the sacred word to recenter yourself. And you're just basically punching holes in your thought stream. And that's the places where you may actually be gifted God's presence back to you and you can kind of punch a hole in the thoughts. Um, and so let me try to clarify that just a little bit. And I, and I think um, Thomas Keating, who's one of the founders of Centering Prayer, they, they came up with um, what they say the four R's are. And so I want to just run through these four R's. And this is essentially the strategy for dealing with your thoughts. And then if we want to go deeper, I'll let you know, you can decide if, if, if it's not clear enough. But the four R's are resist no thought, retain no thought, react to no thought, and return gently with your sacred word to Jesus. That's, I always throw that little last piece in. And so like the first two steps for a lot of people um, aren't super difficult once you practice. That's the resist no thought and retain no thought, which is again, when you realize you're thinking about something, which again, will be most of the time, you just want to feel like, okay, I need to take my attention off of that and put it back on Jesus. So I use the word. So that's what resists. You don't like try to stop yourself from thinking because you're never going to win that game. The key is you don't retain the thoughts either. Now, 
a lot of times the thoughts are really mundane. Like I use a Fitbit timer to time myself. So sometimes, sometimes I'll think, well, geez, I wonder if I set my timer because this is taking forever, right? That's just a mundane thought. Or maybe you'll hear a bird or, you know, you'll hear your kids in another room or something. Those are easy to let go of. The harder ones are when you get like a inspiring thought, maybe a solution to a problem at work. Um, you, you want to make sure you don't forget to do something. You still have to trust God that those will come back later. And you just, re, you don't retain those either. Now, this is where the deep healing comes in. It's when you can learn to react to no thought. And, you know, you're not going to react to thinking you didn't start your watch. But what God does over time is your unconscious will unload. And you'll the things you're afraid of, the things you feel guilty about, uh, the things you feel ashamed about, that stuff starts floating up in your mind. Maybe you can, you'll remember past traumas. That's the stuff that's hard to let go of. Um, and that, when you see those things, you have to trust God. And our a tendency is to be like Adam and Eve and hide behind a tree, like when they eat the fruit, but it's, we like to push that stuff back down. But when hurtful things that have really bothered us in the past come up, you have to let those go with the sacred word too. And so that's, when you start doing that, you've got to handle on how to do it. And then you just, it's just a long game at that point. I'm going to commit to the silence, you know, days, one day at a time, week at a time, month at a time. And God has done, I mean, I'll testify and I even share some of the transformations if you want me to go a little deeper on that, but God has done remarkable things on the inside of myself by just following those four R's, especially the react don't react to the stuff that would you'd be embarrassed for other people to know was in your head and just give that to the God who loves us, whose name's Jesus. Mm. BC Nation, I hope you had your pen and paper out. If you didn't, click rewind on that. Uh, the four R's, resist no thought, retain no thought, most importantly, react to no thought, and then return back to God's presence, return to God's presence there with you in the room, just sitting quietly. He's there. Um, Brian, what you said there, uh, as far as um, when those deep hurts and wounds uh, unlock from your subconscious, our natural tendency is to suppress them back down, especially as men, right? That's yes. what we're taught to do. Don't show feelings. Feelings or emotions equals weakness. Don't do it, right? But what I teach in my coaching with men, Christian husbands, is when God reveals a rock that's deep beneath your soil, that's blocking your good soil from being fruitful, and he raises it, lifts it to the surface, that means that's the next rock he wants out of you. That's the next rock he wants to blow up permanently so you never have to de deal with it again. So the last thing you want to do is push that rock back down. Right. Right. That's but good. instead, I love that. you want to lift that rock up and surrender it to God. Say, Father, I don't know why I'm feeling these feelings back when I was a little boy and I was abused or a little girl or whatever. I've tried to hide this. Why is it still there? Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Don't react to it. Just surrender it. Just give it to him. Father, I surrender to you this feeling, this emotion, this hurt, this memory. Um, this trauma, I surrender it to you and I give you permission to remove it from me in the name of Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, 
is the ultimate gentleman. He waits for you to give permission with your free will. And when you do, he will take that rock and blow it up and you'll never have to deal with it again. I get to see this daily. So Brian, I just love the way uh, those four R's really coincide with the coaching that I do. And, yeah. and I get to watch the miracles and God sets these men free and they never have to deal with those rocks again. So thank you for bringing us through that. Uh, BC Nation, I hope that served you well. Um, go through the four R's in your prayer time, in your quiet time. Practice them. It's a new skill set. It's a new muscle. You're not going to be great at first. I say, you got to go through the suck. Go through the suck. You suck. Well, what do I do tomorrow? Suck less. <laughs> what about the day after that? Suck less. Right? And every day just suck a little less, so to speak. Right? And, and before you know it, you start to master your inner game. And I mean you're mastering your thoughts thought game not that you're dominating them but you're learning to hold them captive through the power of jesus right hold every thought captive in the name of jesus and you're giving those thoughts to him one after another like i don't want it god you take it yeah and before you know it what's left is peace you're left with god's peace his joy his love so brian thank you for walking us through that that was super helpful i think um i hope that was the same for you bc nation all right, Brian, uh, welcome to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the confession round. I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. It's like a game show. Are you ready? I think so. All right. What's your favorite <laughs> thing about God? That God loves everybody. Yeah. Even the people we don't love. Right? Especially the people that we don't love. That's the, that's a key growth point right there. Right? <laughs> what do you, what's your least favorite thing about God? I guess that, that it's not always completely obvious and that sometimes it takes some work on our part to actually get to get to God. It's like sometimes you wish he'd put his uh, put everything up in the up like in a sky riding or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like to say like God makes us excavate, you know, yeah. through the soil and shift through it and and find the stuff. And you're like, God, can't you just do that? And I can show me what you want out? Come on, seriously. Uh, Brian, what are you most afraid of? Yeah, I heard you ask other folks. I, I guess, what am I most afraid of? I guess the only thing that would that really scares me, I would, in this, I, I don't know what you're looking for. I, I'm, I would be afraid to have, to, to deteriorate to such a point that I became a burden to other people, like let's say Alzheimer's or something. That kind of scares me because I've seen my own family go through that. And I, that, that, that sort of scares me, though. I'm guessing I wouldn't even know it was happening if it happened, but that scares right. me. Yeah. Uh, I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. It's just part yeah. of being human. What are you currently struggling with right now, either professionally or personally? Yeah, and this all goes together. It's, it's actually interesting. Um, uh, I'm going through a, a work transition. I still love teaching, but I've been doing more and more coaching. So it's kind of a professional struggle of how to actually navigate uh, two professions simultaneously and kind of waiting to see where the fire ends up being for me um, for either one of these. So I'm in this kind of hold holding pattern right now. Yeah, I get that. What did you spend way too much time doing this past year? What did I spend way too much time doing this fat? Well, I'm gonna have to say uh, worrying, but really, I had I've had I had a really great year, honestly. So I, uh, I spent maybe too much time just flat out working all the time, but it was all fun stuff that I was doing. Okay, what secret fear do you have about people? Oh, that they won't like me. Okay, so that's still there then, huh? 
Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I'm just being honest. Not all the yeah. time, but sometimes. Yeah, I want people to like me, and I, that's a, that's a, that's a place where I, God continues to grow I me. Mean, so that'd be a secret fear, but you know, it doesn't cripple yeah. me. But it uh, didn't cripple me like it used to. But that's still a fear. I have to own that. Yeah, it's definitely a common one that comes up often on the show. For yeah. Sure. Uh, what do you wish you had learned sooner about God? I wish I would have learned about centering prayer sooner. These silence practices I, I've taught my kids, and I and I teach my students now. A lot of them are a lot younger than 